0: Welcome to the Crossview Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy the message this morning. For more information, visit us at mycrossview.com. Well, it's good to be together. It's good to be with you all. And uh, it's good to be together as we focus our hearts and minds on Jesus in this place and what it means to follow Jesus. Always wanting to uh, follow more and more. Uh, our Savior and Lord. And I want to say a huge thank you to Pastor Nikki and to Pastor Holly over these last couple of weeks uh, who have brought good teaching and preaching as I was away. And so I'm continually grateful uh, for our incredible team here at Crossview. So uh, thank you both so much. Uh, So it's been really great the past few weeks uh, as we have focused on some of the major words and themes throughout Scripture. Uh, now, these are kind of larger topics, larger themes that we see woven throughout uh, all of the uh, scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament. And they're, they're meaningful for us to, today in our walk of faith. And so I hope that these have been meaningful uh, to you. And I hope that you're asking the question about how the truths that we've been talking about, how those are working out in your daily living. And that's one of the emphases I want to have for us today, because what we're going to talk about, it's really important that these things move from just our understanding to our heart and then out through our lives. It's a really key piece to what it means to follow Jesus. So this morning we have an opportunity to ask this question again as we talk about the idea of grace. Grace is what we're talking about today. Uh, One of my favorite bands of all times is U2. I don't know if you guys like U2. Uh, I love U2. U2 was the soundtrack of my life late high school and all throughout college, even up to this day. And if you ask my kids, I'm constantly trying to get them to listen to U2 because I know that once they hear their incredible, incredible music, they will feel exactly the same way I do. I just know it. <laughs> Well, I'm often impressed by the lyrics of U2's songwriting, and uh, U2 actually has a song called Grace. It's on uh, one of their albums, and it's not my favorite song melodically, but I love the lyrics of that song. Uh, The song personifies the biblical concept of grace in the same way that we see Lady Wisdom of the Jewish tradition, and we might find in a place like the book of Proverbs. In this song, Grace is described as this beautiful woman who brightens every, every room and brings life to every person that she encounters. She is shockingly generous, and very forgiving. And she doesn't treat people the way they deserve to be treated. She treats them even better. I love it. It's a wonderful song. And that's exactly what Grace is for us. We'll talk about it here as we go through the context of, of Scripture, but the concept of grace is a central theme throughout the Bible. It's used to describe God's nature and His activity toward humanity. It's described, as, it's described as part of God's nature, It's part of who He is, and it's how He operates, how He acts toward us. It's how He acted toward Israel in the Old Testament. And God's, it's part of how we acted in God's decisive act of forgiveness and redemption for all people through the death of Jesus in the New Testament. Praise the Lord. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord that our God is so gracious in both who he is and how he acts toward us. So the doctrine of grace pertains to God's nature and his activity. God is gracious and acts graciously to us. Look at what it says here in Romans 5, verse 8. It says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 9 reads, For God saved us and called us to a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because uh, that was his plan before the beginning of time, to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. Romans 3, 22 through 24 reads, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ and this is true for everyone who, no matter who we are, for everyone has sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in His grace, freely makes us right in His sight. And He did this through Christ Jesus when when He freed us from the penalty for our sins. Incredible! (laughs) It's part of who God is. It's a part of how God acts toward us And I am so thankful. How about you? An author, uh, Warren Wiserby writes this, God in his mercy does not give us what we do deserve, and God in his grace gives us what we don't deserve. (laughs) Isn't that great? so even in humanity's rejection of God past and present because you see humanity just continually rejecting God in the scriptures and I don't know but that seems to characterize humanity's experience even today right even in humanity's rejection of God past and present God doesn't turn away from us he doesn't abandon us instead he continually turns toward us and invites us to a renewed relationship offering us forgiveness and brand new life through the filling of his spirit what grace So scripture goes on and on and on about God's grace. God's grace is to be understood in terms of his primary nature, it's part of who he is, and his ongoing action toward us and in this world. It is who God is, and it defines what God does. Grace is part of God's activity that allows him to, as one commentator put it, confront human indifference and rebellion with an exhaustible capacity to forgive and to bless. So now, especially in the context of the Christian community and in the church, we hear this word all the time, right? We're kind of used to it. And one of the things that I think is important for us today, and why we're talking about it, why we're going through these scriptures, why we're talking about it as part of God's nature and His activity, is that we can become desensitized to the concept of grace and how it works. I mean, we see it in church names and songs and prayers. We hear it in messages. We even hear it in normal conversation. And I think the danger is that this idea can become so familiar to us that it loses its potency. and it no longer stirs our heart or fires up our imagination. This is significant, this activity of God and this aspect of His nature. In fact, Pastor Holly and I were talking about that this last week, commenting on the fact that grace can be easy for us to understand intellectually, but can be very difficult to move from our head to our heart, and then especially out through our lives, especially when we've been wronged. (laughs) we want to understand grace for sure we need to understand it as part of who God is but we want to also experience it ourselves and then be grace givers everywhere we go it should be part of of what defines our experience of God our experience in this life and how we treat other people we want others to experience the significant grace of God amen We don't want there to be a disconnect between the idea of grace, our experience of it, and how we live that out. In becoming so familiar with grace, it can lose its impact as a profound concept at the core of the gospel of Jesus, at the core of our relationships with God and at the core of how we live our lives. So as as Bono, the lead singer of U2, he, he wrote, he talked about the inspiration of the song and he said it was obviously Jesus Christ. And here's what he wrote. Grace is my favorite word in the English language. It's a word I'm depending on. (laughs) Christ's ministry really has a lot to do with pointing out how everybody is a screw up in some shape or form. There's no way around it. But then he wants to say, well, I am going to deal with all of that for you. I will take it on myself, all the consequences of sin. And he continues, even if you're not religious, I think you'd accept that there are consequences to all the mistakes that we make. So grace enters the picture as if to say, I'll take the blame. I'll carry the cross. It's a powerful idea. Go Bono. He's crushing the lay lay theological game, right? (laughs) Helpful. God's grace is central to our story of rescue from the very beginning of scripture. We are depending on it for salvation and for life in the spirit here and now. So my hope is that today, as we talk about God's grace and we understand what it is He's done for us, who He is and how He asks us to live our life, that our hearts will be stirred again in this way. Our imaginations will be caught and just go on what it is that God's grace means in our life and what it can do in this world. I want it to grip our hearts and minds. So while the word translated as grace is mostly found in the New Testament, Uh, God's grace is also a foundational aspect of the Old Testament. We're going to go real quickly through Old Testament to New Testament, uh, and then we're going to talk about uh, a way— we're going to ask ourselves a question about how this is working out in our own lives. One commentator said this, You could throw—you could say that all 39 books of the Old Testament offer case studies in divine grace. We could easily point to the Exodus as a gracious act of love and kindness on the part of a covenant God. We could identify many times when Yahweh preserved his sinful people and held back his punishing hand and on and on and on it goes. We see a a faithful, covenanting God continually providing for his people even though they continually thumbed their nose at him, right? Exodus 34, verse 6, gives us this kind of formulaic depiction of God's character, which is then repeated in various forms throughout the rest of the Old Testament. And we read in Exodus 34, verse 6, And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. We see this kind of act all over the fact uh, in the Psalms. in Psalm 86, David writes this: "O Lord, you are so good and so ready to forgive, so full of unfailing love for all who ask you or ask for your help. Listen closely to my prayer, O Lord. Hear my urgent cry, and I will call to you whenever I'm in trouble. You will answer me." Psalm 86, 15 through 16 reads like this. But you, O Lord, are a God of compassion and mercy, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Look down and have mercy on me. Give your strength to your servant. Save me from the son of your, uh, from the son, the son, sorry. Save me, the son of your servant. So you can see David repeated what we, we saw in the Exodus there. A formulaic kind of way to look at and understand the character and nature of God. I love it. So we kind of get this panorama view of what God's grace looks like from Old Testament to New Testament. So if you're tempted to think about or describe the Old Testament only as words like legalistic or, or law-based or even just old or archaic, <laughs> no, that's not the case. We see a grace-filled God even back in the context of the Old Testament. We should read Psalms like Psalm 86 where we encounter the same gracious God that we find all over the New Testament. A a, a God full of kindness and grace committed to ongoing, loving, faithful, committed relationship. So as we move to the New Testament, we find the most common word translated grace uh, or charis. It's used 154 times in the New Testament and it means the unearned, undeserved, unmitigated favor of God toward you and me thank you Jesus (laughs) the unearned undeserved unmitigated favor of God toward you in other words the grace of God is all over the story of the New Testament it's all over the stories about Jesus in fact no other system of religious thought past or present contains an emphasis on divine grace comparable to that of the Christian scriptures It is a unique part of who we are and how God works in the world. (laughs) This is an important concept. Uh, Someone who works at my old seminary, uh, Portland Seminary, says this, that grace is evergreen. It will never become old-fashioned, and it will never go out of style. Grace is a word that we're depending on, and we need it. Amen? Ephesians 1, 6 through 7 says this, So we praise god for the glorious grace that he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins in romans paul talks about the richness of god's kindness he's long-suffering and he's patient with us thank you jesus These are the character traits of the one who longs to forgive and not punish. He's willing to wait for us as we turn to him time and time and time again. And he says, yes, come you're forgiven. Let me give you life everlasting and here and now. This is really important for us to understand, but it's really important for it not to stay just in our head. It has to work deeply into our heart and out through our hands and God, kind of spoke to me this last week and this as I was uh, preparing this uh, to share today uh, because I think I realized that as we were as I was going through this especially with what happened here a couple of weeks ago I understood the concept of grace but I was not very it was not very easy for me to give grace if you uh, are visiting or, or don't know the church we had a burglary at the church a couple of weeks ago and they took a lot of stuff <laughs> so it's been, uh, we're, it's in my, it's, we're in this world because we're here, we're trying to fix things and get it all situated and uh, get stuff put back together. And what I found this week was that in my heart, while I understood grace and I am one to receive grace from God, I was not being grace-filled toward people. Especially the people that did this. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for being patient with me. <laughs> <clears throat> So, I want to read a couple of things from one of my favorite authors named Brennan Manning, who, and I'm, I'm just going to say, I'm going to read a, a bunch from Brennan Manning in a couple of different spots, because the way that he writes is so helpful and, and helped me so much understand what it means to be grace-filled toward people. Uh, And so I'm going to read a couple of sections from Brennan Manning. And here's what I want. I want us to ask this question. How is the grace that we understand from the Old Testament to the New Testament, God's grace that has been given to me, how is it working out in my life? Am I quick to receive grace? But then I say, oh, I hope that person just, you know, whatever. I hope that person gets arrested and never sees the light of day again, right? (laughs) Soften our hearts, Jesus. Soften my heart. Here's what Brendan Manning says, and he, and he writes in his autobiography called All is Grace. He says, my life is a witness to what he calls vulgar grace, a grace that amazes as much as it offends, a grace that, that pays the eager beaver who works all day long the same wages as the grinning drunk who shows up at 10 till 5. <laughs> a grace, <coughs> excuse me, I think the Lord's speaking to me even now. Uh, at the condition of my heart so a grace that hikes up its robe and runs breakneck toward the prodigal son reeking of sin and wraps him up and decides to throw a party no if ands or buts a grace that raises bloodshot eyes to a uh, dying thief's requ- request please remember me and assures him you bet <laughs> A grace that is the pleasure of the Father fleshed out in this carpenter Messiah, Jesus Christ, who left the Father's side not for heaven's sake, but for our sakes, yours and mine. mine. This is vulgar grace. Vulgar grace is indiscriminate compassion toward other people. It works without asking anything of us. It's not cheap, but it is free. And as such, it will always be a banana peel for the orthodox foot and a fairy tale for the grown-up sensibility. (laughs) grace is sufficient even though we huff and puff with all our might and try to find something or someone it cannot cover grace is enough he is enough Jesus is enough amen how is this working out in our life If it's not already clear, one clear and enduring message of the Bible is that God's character is to pour out love and grace on the undeserving. That's something that we must remember and live out. And you know what? We are all the undeserving. Brennan Manning cites Matthew 9, 9, through 13 as a passage that we need to read and reread and memorize and it helps us understand the nature of God's grace uh, and the invitation of the gospel for those who are undeserving. And he says this, you'll recognize this passage, he writes or in Matthew 9 we find this, and Jesus was walking along and he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Matthew was a terrible guy. <laughs> in his culture and context he was a Jewish person who was taxing the Jewish people for the Romans. A traitor, not well-liked. Follow me and be my disciple. What? Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many other tax collectors and disreputable sinners. I wonder if he's thinking, oh, I hope Jesus can do for them what he did for me. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? (laughs) When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. And then he asked, and then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. Praise the Lord. Sometimes when I read this passage, if you're like me, I, I might pass a little bit of judgment on Matthew. Well, isn't he lucky that Jesus came along <laughs> and helped him out? I bet he was pretty uncomfortable with Jesus and those other tax collectors uh, and the disciples at the dinner trying to manage uh, people's uh, cultural perspectives. But maybe I should have been reading all along saying, oh wow, I'm a Matthew. And Jesus invites me to follow him anyway. Jesus, are you serious? (laughs) I can follow you? You're going to give me that grace? What can I say? I want to end uh, our time and our thinking about this uh, by reading another passage uh, from Ber- Brennan Manning from a, from a different book this time called The Ragamuffin Gospel. Uh, and I think that this is so powerful. So again, just continually to, just as you hear this, continue to ask yourself, how is God's grace working out in my life to other people around me, especially people who our world or maybe even are in our own thought process, we think are undeserving. <laughs> He writes this every christian generation tries to dim the blinding brightness of its meaning grace's meaning because the gospel seems seems too good to be true we think salvation belongs to the proper and the pious to those who stand at a safe distance from the back alleys of existence chuckling their judgment at those who have been soiled by life or who experienced some darkness Here is a revelation bright as the evening star that Jesus comes for sinners, for those as outcast as tax collectors, and for those caught up in the squalid choices and failed dreams. He comes for corporate executives, street people, superstars, farmers, prostitutes, addicts, IRS agents, AIDS victims, and even the used car (laughs) salesman. Jesus not only talks with them, but he dines with them. He sits with them. When I get honest, I admit that I am a bundle of paradoxes. I believe and I doubt. I hope and I get discouraged. I love and I hate. I feel bad about feeling good, and I feel guilty about not feeling guilty. (laughs) I am trusting and suspicious. I am honest, and yet I still play games. Aristotle said that I'm a rational animal, but I say I'm an angel with an incredible capacity for beer. (laughs) If you know the story of Brendan Manning, he struggled with alcoholism most of his life. As a sinner who has been redeemed, I can acknowledge that I am often, I am often unlovable, irritable, angry, and resentful toward those closest to me. When I go to church, I can leave my white hat at home and admit that I have failed God not only loves me as I am, but he knows me as I am. Because of this, I don't need to apply any spiritual cosmetics to make myself presentable to him. (laughs) I can accept ownership of my own poverty and powerlessness and neediness and recognize my need for grace. For grace proclaims the awesome truth that all is a gift, that uh, all that is good is ours, not by right, but by the sheer bounty of a gracious God. Grace is the acceptance of life as a gift. It's the embrace of the truth that we are not in control, but that God is. Grace is the face that love wears when it meets imperfection, weakness, failure, and sin. Grace is the face that love wears when it meets me thank you Jesus so if we want to follow Jesus we're invited to receive this gift of grace that he's given to us to everyone he's he's we're invited to receive this gift gift just as we are and not as we should be because none of us is as we should be right (laughs) thank you Jesus if we want to follow Jesus we need to be like Jesus to be to receive that grace and then be ready and willing to sit with the Matthews of this world To be conduits of this radical grace of God to those around us. We can demonstrate this type of of love by being uh, kind and compassionate, indiscriminately compassionate, right, to anyone that we encounter, regardless of their background, beliefs, or behavior. This means being willing to serve others, to listen to their stories, and to show them the same acceptance and understanding that we have received from God time and time and time again. What's so amazing about God's grace is that it breaks all kinds of social norms and expectations. The question is, do we have the courage to follow this way of living? To seek out maybe those, if we knew who it was that took the stuff to say, at least this was my thought this last week, what else do you need? How can I help you? How can I connect you with the heart of God? rather than just just dismiss them as people completely <laughs> this is where God was working on my heart Second Timothy 2 1 through 9 we read this earlier for God saved us and called us to a uh, live a holy life and he did this not because we deserved it but because it was his plan from the very beginning of time to show us his grace through Jesus Christ how do you live out this grace today tomorrow <laughs> this afternoon this next week what does that look like in your life God's grace is a scandalous embrace of us just as we are with all our faults and failures, but it transforms us, it changes us from the inside out, making us brand new creations in Jesus. (laughs) Praise the Lord. (laughs) So the doctrine of grace describes uh, God's nature, his activity toward us, and it calls us to the same type of living for that is the way of the kingdom, amen? Amen. Let's pray. Worship team.